going to pray and then we're going to get into the word. Amen. Father, I just want to thank you uh, for your goodness over our lives. Father, I thank you um, that you are present, you are powerful, you are active in our lives, and you're working something in us daily. And today, I pray that you form inside us just a, a, such a perspective shift, Lord God, so that we can see you and look at our lives and know um, what you are calling us for. Father, we thank you. We surrender our lives into your hands and yield our hearts into your hands. Keep us soft on this morning so that we can love you with all our hearts, all our souls, all our minds and all strengths. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Now we are in the book of Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. We are primering on the 2 Thessalonians, but we are jumping back and forth between the second letter and the first, right? And so today I want to share with you guys a word about worthy, being worthy of God's calling. Being worthy of God's calling. What does it mean when we say that someone is worthy of something? Or what does it mean if we were to say that someone is unworthy of something? We're going to look into that because that something is no longer just a something. It is a someone. And that someone is the God of heaven and earth. Before that, I just want us to look at the text today. We'll read it and then, uh, and then we'll go into um, the word proper. Therefore, we, are, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. You've heard the first verse. I'm giving it to you for context. Verse 5. This is evidence. What is the this? The this is the fact that they are suffering, they are being persecuted, you know, but God is going to come and support them. And, and, and uh, how, how should I put it? God is going to come and lay vengeance upon those who are, who are persecuting them. You're going to see this in verse 6, right? Verse 5, this is evidence that the righteous judgment of God Okay, righteous evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy. Somebody say worthy. Worthy of what? Worthy of the kingdom of God. Somebody say kingdom of God. This is evidence that you are of the righteous judgment that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well, as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Now, it's starting to look like, like end, of the, end of the world type imagery, right? God, Jesus is going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, flaming fire, inflicting what? Vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. I'll get into that in a moment. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you, make you what? Worthy. Somebody say worthy. That our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I just want to commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want to show you three things 
three things about what it means to be worthy of God's call over us. The first one I want to talk about is the calling. And then I want to talk about what it means to be worthy of the calling. And then finally, we will close out on who is going to be making us worthy of that calling. So there is the calling, there is the worthiness of that calling, and then there is the making to be worthy of that calling. A calling, a worth, and a making. And for that, we'll jump into the first one, the calling. You know how. This is a flashback to the first letter. The first letter to the Thessalonian church was written. We, we don't actually know. Scholars don't actually know how long it was between the first and second letter. You do know that what he prayed for in the first letter seems to be being answered by the time the second letter is written. Now, here we go. First letter, you already see this theme popping up. We know how, like a father with his children, we, we being Paul and Silas, right? And... Paul, Sylvanus, Timothy, right? The three of them, right? Um, wrote to the church, exhorted each one of you, encouraged each one of you, and charged each one of you, right? Exhorted, encouraged, and charged. Is there a, is there a meaning? Why, why do you say three things, right? Why, why not just say, we exhorted you, right? But he, he exhorted them to exhort someone who's to like, to, to like rouse someone, you know? It's like, kind of like, you know, um, or someone, you know, a little bit like that, right? And then to encourage is a more gentle picture, right? It's, it's a lot more affirming. It sounds a lot softer. And then finally, it's to charge you. Now, that's the most aggressive of the three words, right? And so what I see in this picture is what Paul, together with his two other uh, um, uh, uh, co-laborers, are going to the Thessalonian church and approaching them with every approach possible. The gentlest, the midway, and the strongest, which means that there is, there is a, there's kind of like a really full and complete voice coming to the Thessalonian church. And you know, I used to play this game uh, called football manager. Okay? It's, a, it's a football management simulator, right? And, and you, 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 don't, you don't make the, the players like kick the ball. You just kind of like set your team up and then you watch them play. And then at halftime, you scold them, right? <laughs> and the thing is, uh, you, you scold them by selecting your scolding. They give you a bunch of presets. And then you, and then you click like, you know, tell everybody this. And you can like, yell at them like, wow, oh, you're not working high enough. You're not playing properly, right? And then you'll notice that every time you submit that scolding, right? Immediately, your players' morale, some of them will shoot up, some of them will shoot down. Okay? And so, the game introduced this thing where you can have custom conversations with each of them. So, you can score everybody, but you can go to two or three of them, the more, the more sensitive players, you know, and it's very clever. One, huh? The few of them will be like a bit more easily wounded, bruised, you know. Then you can go around there and say like, I know you are better than this, you know. Uh, go show me what you've got. And, and then the, the point of the game, uh, at least your halftime talk, is that you can say it in different ways to different players that your sheep know your voice and you know your sheep's voice. <laughs> and so you can speak to them and then you get the best response from them and then you continue second half and you watch them play, right? And so this is a little bit, this is a little bit like a first half team talk, okay? For Paul and Silas and Timothy to the Thessalonian church because they are not just scholarly or they are not just like, oh, just a young you only, right? but there is a charge. And what it means to charge you is to, is to give you a call, a high call, is to give you a challenge, 
a challenge to say, this is how you should live your life. And then there is the exhorting, and then there is the encouraging, right? And so to do what? That's why this is so key. To walk in a manner worthy of God. All of this is so that we can walk in a manner worthy of God. Who calls you, and I'm going to pause on that word, who calls you into his own kingdom and his glory. Now, when I say, guys, do you have a calling? What do you think of? You think of some grand missionary calling, go to uh, um, the, some, some, some starving uh, community uh, um, in don't know where, or maybe to go to some, some, some Pacific island that no one has ever discovered and go and bring the gospel and do all those things, right? Now, you may think of calling that way, okay? And then I'm going to ask you, have you been living a life worthy of that calling? And you will say, no way, right? No way. Now, here's the thing. I actually think it's quite hard for us in this modern day to think about what it means to be worthy, to walk in a manner worthy. To walk in a manner worthy means that the manner is trying to hit some standard that is not yours. Now, I shared with you, I, play, I, I used to play football manager. I also am a big football fan, as most of you all will know. Now, when you are a football fan, your allegiance to your club is really, it, it, it's, it's really powerful, right? Your, your loyalty is, is, tends to be quite strong. And you tend to have an extremely high opinion of the value and worth of your club, such that if ever a player, a football player, shows up for your team, and then it's lazy, don't train properly, show up late for the, for, for, for at the airport to go on your US tour, you know, um, and uh, what, what else, right? Um, every day, don't play lousy, you know, train bad, you know, and then all these things. You might say, this player is unworthy of our club. This guy is not worthy to pull on that shirt. You know, uh, uh, which is so, which is such an honor. It's such an honor to be a player representing XYZ Football Club, right? And you might say that this guy is unworthy of it. Unworthy of it. What it means is he is not walking in a manner that corresponds to the manner that we all agree should. So there is a standard. That standard is externally set. All, all of us, in a sense, the fan base, sets a standard for how a player ought to be. And then if the player does not conform to that, he is considered not worthy of his association with that football club. It applies to every aspect of life where you assign a high value to any kind of association. It, has, it applies, I, and in the first week, of this series, I gave you the example of a prime minister, right? Of a head of state. Um, if you if you gave an office of a prime minister to someone who squandered the national wealth and who who, who plunged us into into a deficit and who and who lifted it up, but while everybody is is having to tighten their belts, you might say that this guy is unworthy of the high office. That he has been given. So we understand that when it comes to uh, big shots, we understand this when it comes to um, uh, uh, people who who do who, who are associated with uh, something that you consider very dear. In this, in, in some of these cases, a national thing, a, a, a sporting institution, or whatever else, right? 
one more example. How many of you, you have daughters who are unmarried, right? Okay, I've got little kids, right? Um, how many of you have sons uh, who, are, who are unmarried, right? You can raise your hands, right? Okay, um, if, if ever some guy comes to woo your daughter um, when she's of age to get married, and this guy is like, is like don't, don't lie on you, rude to you, don't want to eat auntie's food, uh, this and that, like, you might say like, Young man, you are unworthy of my daughter, right? So you all get this, right? You all get this. Now, we understand it whenever it is external and it is something else, you know, but I'm not quite sure if we spend much time thinking about our own worthiness to be on a call of God. And that's probably because we have not fully come to grips with what it means for us to have a call. And so before we can even tackle the idea of worthiness, we have to understand what it means to have a call. And what does it mean to have a high calling? And what does it mean to have a high a calling to be in God's kingdom and glory? I'm going to play a little game with you now, okay? In this little game, I'm going to call it high and higher calling, okay? A high and higher calling. I'm going to show you, okay, a bunch of things, okay, a few, a few rows, I'm going to tell you whether, I'm going to ask you, and you're going to tell me, you're going to shout from the floor, okay? Uh, whether you consider this a high calling, okay? Yeah, you guys want to participate, okay? I'm not, I, I, I'm not convinced. I see nodding, but are y'all going to participate? Yeah, all right. A, servant of God. Is this a high calling? Yes, yes. Yeah, sure. Huh? B, soldier of God. Is this a high calling? Which is the higher calling? We are not in agreement. Ladies and gentlemen, we have several answers. Which, uh, how many of you think it is servant of God is a higher calling? Say yes. How many of you think soldier of God is a higher calling? Say yes. Oh, soldier is losing. Okay. C, messenger of God. Is this a high calling? How does it rank compared to servant and soldier of God? Highest. I heard someone say highest. Who thinks it's the highest so far on the board? Who thinks it's the highest? Raise your hand and make some noise. Four, three of you, five of you, right? Who still thinks servant is the highest? Wow, servant is still winning. Who thinks the soldier of God is still highest? Nobody. So, soldier has lost. Okay, we have one. We have one. D. D. Y'all ready for this? D. Child of God. Is this a high calling? Very high. Very high. Yes. Who thinks this is the new highest calling? Three, four, five, six, seven, right? Who thinks seven is still the highest calling? They're still, who thinks they're all equally high as callings? Bluff. Y'all have raised your hand twice. Bluff. <laughs> yeah, I've got a final one, huh? okay? Servant of God, soldier of God, messenger of God, child of God. And the fifth one, I'm going to ask you, is this a high calling? Ready? Independent, self-empowered individual, free to decide own lifestyle, free to chart own destiny. Hey, but, 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 no, no, I must say this. But believes in God huh? and goes to church. Huh? Yeah, yeah, cannot forget that. Huh? Very good. Huh? That one, yeah. 
independent, self-empowered individual, free to decide own lifestyle, free to chart your own destiny, but you still go to church and you still believe in God. Is this a high calling? Bluff, you're saying not a high calling, but sure not. Yes, one say yes. One say yes somewhat, right? It's okay for it to be a high shot. High is just high. Is it a higher calling? You see, my friends, <laughs> nervous laughter in the Sarah Central, okay? Online, y'all should be here to feel this, okay? Yeah, yeah. Is it a higher calling? We are somewhat trained enough by church to look at it, you immediately say, no, cannot be, right? And yet, you and I, we may struggle to think that this is the kind of way we wouldn't want to live. All of us order our lives in one way or another as independent, self-empowered individuals free to make our own decisions, free to chart our own destiny. That's how we live. Over and above, most of the time, that's how we order our lives. I make my decisions for my life. I make decisions on how I handle my money based on my decisions, right? And they may not be bad decisions because after all, at the bottom, you saw you go to church, you believe in God, right? So, so there's a little bit of osmosis from that here and there. You know, it's not, not all bad. It's not all, uh, you know, self-indulgent. You know, there's a little bit of creeping in of, of, of gospel culture and whatnot. But by and large, I make decisions for my life based on what I think is right, based on what I think is true, based on what, how I want to decide. And yet, every single one of you, or maybe most of you, said it's not a higher calling than being a servant of God, than being a soldier or a messenger, or for that matter, of being a child of God. And so, my friends, I'm not sure we know what it means to live in a manner worthy of a call. Because we say one thing in church, you give me one response here, and I say one thing back to you, and this whole thing sounds very Christianese. And it looks great on Sunday. And then who knows what you'll be thinking and doing and how you'll be ordering your life on a Monday. I'm concerned about that. Who knows how Pastor Fergus thinks and acts and orders his life on a Monday. And you should be concerned about that. And the Thessalonian church, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were concerned about that. They wanted very badly to make sure that every day, not just on Sunday in their gatherings, but every day, they would order their lives as if God was truly their highest calling. And that's why it's so important for us to know that when we say the word calling, we cannot get caught up in this grandiose uh, um, uh, martyrdom. Uh, a Christian goes on missionary trip, goes to the ends of the world and disappears forever, writes back two letters before your head is cut off, you know, and that's the high calling. And it can't just be that. It must be more than that. Because if that's all it is, then 0.000 whatever percent of us is going to live out a high calling. The rest of us, we're just going to be what? Independent, self-empowered. Well, we will settle for the next best thing, right? Which is just to be, just boss your own life and go to church sometimes, you know? And that's 
maybe good enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. Because I tell you what, Thessalonian church who received this letter, they were not the missionaries. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were the missionaries. They were the people whom later Paul scolded some of them for not working hard enough. In other words, they are the people who get a job, work hard, get to work on Monday, contribute to community, contribute to the economy, contribute to society, contribute to your neighbors, love someone, love more than someone. And that sounds like our lives on Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Wednesday, whatever days, right? That's, that's, it sounds like us. They sound just like us. They sound just like us, which is why the words of God to them are relevant to us. And so, my friends, in relation to that last one, are we bosses of our own lives? Do we chart the course of our own destinies? To some extent, you might be nodding and say yes. And to some extent, you're true, you're right. And then on some deeper fundamental level, the Bible teaches us something else. And I want to show you this. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, that's a, a, another community not too far from the Thessalonians, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And that, my friends, is very subversive thing to say. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. That's slave language. I'm currently reading this novel. It's called uh, The Underground Railroad. It's uh, my first time giving it a try to read uh, slave, uh, slave narrative, right? American slave narrative, right? And gosh, the things that happen when you are sold as a slave and you, know, you, you are no longer free, and you get placed in the plantations, and you have to work, and they own you. They really own you. They can beat you. They can, they can go all around the country from state to state to chase you and hunt you. And even though you think you're a free man after you have escaped, they can catch you and bring you back to your home state, bring you back to that first plantation that you were on, and do anything they want with you because they are not their own. They have been bought with a price. And that, when you see it happening but between humans and humans, is absolutely sickening and it's absolutely grotesque. Especially because, or particularly because, we don't know how to own one another well. We are sinful, we are exploitative, and when we, you put, we put each other into each other's hands, the strong oppress the weak, and we crush each other but not so with God. And so, some of us grew up in Christian homes and you were told things like this from the time you were young. Some of us did not grow up in Christian homes and we never were, all this was alien to us. The idea that God owns us and would, have a, would lay claim on us is entirely, completely uh, foreign to us. I was like, I'm one of them. I grew up non-Christian, right? And so, the very notion that God would own. How, how can you own me? Who owns me? Nobody owns me. I own myself. I'm my own boss. And then the day came when I gave my life to Jesus. You see the language we use? I what? Gave my life to Jesus. 
That's ownership language. I'm giving myself to Jesus so that now he owns me. And now that Jesus owns me, what's the price that he paid? He paid the price with the life of his son, Jesus Christ. Sent him to die on the cross and in so doing, purchase me back. Purchase me back for myself so that I can make a decision to give my life to him. He also purchased me back from the jaws of death and slavery to sin and enslavement by Satan. And in that way, he has purchased me like like a benevolence, like a benevolent uh, 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 a ruler coming in to purchase uh, um, a slave during those dark days in America and to purchase that slave out. I bought you and now you are mine. And under my care, I make you a free man. Or under my care, I treat you with righteousness, I treat you with justice, I treat you with, with dignity and with honor. That's what it looks like. You have been bought with a price. Every single one of us, if you have given your life to Jesus, I won't assume you all have. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus, you own yourself. Or maybe some power out there owns you. I'm not going to speculate. But if you have given your life to Jesus, Jesus owns you. And therefore, you are no longer your own. Your body belongs to God. God calls the shots. We fall in line. In Galatians 2, over Easter, we had a baptism and our baptismal candidates all declared this, right? They declared this either in preparation, some of them declared it in the pool. I have been crucified with Christ, meaning I have been symbolically placed on the cross with Jesus Christ to die there with him, but he died for me. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh that is all of us right now, I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. I am no longer who I used to be. It is no longer I who live. The old me is dead, right? The old has gone. The new has come. I've been crucified. No longer I will live. Christ now lives in me. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. This is what being a Christian means. And so, my friends, it saddens me whenever we think that becoming a Christian is just a ticket to heaven. It's not. Becoming a Christian is, is um, having all of, of, my, of the things that I want plus God just pouring out wealth and prosperity on me, you know, on top of that. It's not. It saddens me sometimes if we were to think that becoming a Christian means that I just get endless blessings by a Santa Claus, you know, who calls himself Jesus, you know, and then he will just do everything he wants to, to, to give me all of my selfish, self-serving comforts in life. It's not, that's not the deal. And if that was the deal you signed up for, I encourage you to look into the scriptures and see what the whole council of scripture is telling you you signed up for. And if you never signed up for that, then revisit that with the Lord and say, Lord, I see today, I see today what you are calling me to. It is far more risky. It is far more treacherous. It requires far more, far more loyalty. It requires far more resilience, but it is far much better. Far better. Because I will share this with you every single day if I could. That if you have your best life now, it's not good enough. Not good enough. I want 
the greatest joy, the longest joy, the most highest joy later in the next life. And for now, I will work for the joy of as many, for the eternal joys of as many people as I bodily can, as I physically can. And that, my friends, is the calling that every single one of us has been called to. It doesn't matter whether my work is as a full-time pastor and this is my Sunday and this is me at work and then for you, you're going into office tomorrow and you're going to meet people and you're going to have opportunities to pray for people and over time, you're going to have opportunities to answer them when they ask you, actually, why are you like that? And then you can give them a reason for why you are like that. And it doesn't matter whether your work is that you are at home and you're raising children and you have the, you have the power and, the, and you have the privilege to raise numerous next generation, powerful, impacting, world, possibly world-changing people. And you're shaping them from the time they are young. We have mothers here. We have teachers here. Come on, church. It doesn't matter whether my job is this or your job is something else, every single one of us has been called into a calling to work for the eternal joy of someone else, as many someone else's. And that's the calling we've been given. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. It's no longer I who live, but now Christ lives in me and His will be done. His will be done on earth. How? How? He's not physically on earth, right? Physical Jesus came to earth about 0, 1 AD, 1 AD, lived for 33 years, thereabouts, crucified, resurrected, ascended to heaven. He's not physically as a human being here. How is His will going to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Through us who say, I've been bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So is he here? Yes. Is he physically here in the way that he is physically here through you giving him access? Yes, he is here. And through that, he can work through you for the eternal joy and salvation and satisfaction and love and security of more and more people. Through people who say that this is my call. Now, live a life worthy of that call. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, actually, I think, I'm not sure how you pronounce it in proper German. I think it's Bonhoeffer, right? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And I know in Asian circles, I grew up in Chinese family, you cannot say die on. You cannot say die on. Die is like, don't say bad, uh, bad luck. Cannot say die, bad luck, you know. And then we become Christians and we realize that the only way to gain eternal life is to enter a death so that you die to all of the bad luck. I don't know. You die to all of the sin. You die to all of the brokenness. You die to all of your fleshliness. And then you are resurrected in Christ into an immortality, into a power and a spirit to transcend and be, be better, be better than who you used to be. So for Christians, talking about death is a, is a, is a part of life. It's, it's a matter of course that we talk of death because without death, there is no eternal life. And so we don't look at this and say, oh, you're trying, you're right. you know? we look at this and we say, it's true. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. 
Die to what? Die to your flesh. Die to your own sinful nature. Die to your own stupid addictions. Die to your own stupid ways. Die to your foul mouth. Die to your bitterness. Die to the way you 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 turn um every every opportunity to be a, 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 every talking opportunity to slack someone or whatever it may be, church. Whatever it may be, you know yourself best. I know myself best. My examples are all my own, right? We die to those things, so we follow him. We follow him into dying. We follow him into living. Amen? And that's what it means to have a calling. And so the next thing I want to talk to you is now that you understand a little bit, we know that we have been called not to extravagant acts of, you know, um, whatever it might be in your mind, but to the daily dying. And by the way, that makes you just like the missionaries who travel very far away and, you know, die gruesome death, right? It makes you just like them. Because every day you are living for Christ. Every day you face opposition for it. And every day you live your life as if, as if Christ is the most important thing and you're prepared to face whatever peril it comes. Why? Because you're learning how to live a life worthy of that calling. And so I want to show you this. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Now, suffering comes into play here. I'm going to show you how it works. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. I'm going to speak a few moments about, about this and I'm going to tell you a little parable that I made on my own. Okay? We know a little bit now about what it means to live a life worthy of the call. There is a life worthy of the call and we can say that now, okay, God has called me to be an influence, to, be a, to work for the joy of someone, to work for the salvation and the life of someone, right? And I will do that. That is what it means to live a life worthy of that call. Now, my friends, I want to show you something else happening here because there is a way in which God considers it a just and a just, a just kind of judgment to do something with the people who punish you, to do something to the people who harm you. And with that, I want to share with you guys a little story that I made up. It is called Parable of the Two Generals. Once upon a time, there was a king. And this king had two generals. And on one occasion, this king was warring with a neighboring kingdom. And at one key battle, both of his generals were defeated and were captured. The rest of his army scattered, and then they all came back to his kingdom with their, with their tails behind their legs, so to speak. The two generals who were captured had to face the enemy king. They called the first general in and tortured him. Whatever torture means in your mind, that's what it is, right? They tortured him severely and then said to him, tell us this place, the location where your king keeps his secret treasury. And the general says, the first general says, never. And then they torture him some more. Whatever torture him some more means to you, you have your own imagination to imagine that, right? And then they say to him, switch camps and join us in this war against your king. And the first general says, never. I will never switch camps. With that, they flogged him some more and then threw him into a prison cell intending to pull him out at a later date to extract this information from him again. And then they called the second general 
Second general comes and they torture him. They torture him with every torture they know imaginable. And then they ask him, tell us the secret location of your king's treasury. And the second general says, what's in it for me? And they say, ah, I'll tell you what's in it for you. Wealth, comforts, luxury. You got to live in the king's, in the king's compound. You have maids. And you have a harem for you. You have whatever you want for you. Okay? And he tells the location of the secret treasury. And as he finishes, seeing as this second general is quite friendly, the king, the enemy king, asks him a second question. Switch camps. Join us in this war against your king. And the second general says, what's in it for me? I'll give you rank. I'll give you power. I'll give you your own wealth. And you get to be a somebody. It's best. And he switches camps. Now let's imagine a spy was a witness there, and the spy brought all this information back to his king, to the king, right? And one week later, that the king amasses a huge army and comes to his enemy kingdom and storms at their gates, absolutely bulldozes through them, annihilates the entire kingdom, trashes them maximum cow cow, okay, and then destroys everything, right? Wins a battle that is absolutely decisive. And then the king calls for his two generals. He calls for the two generals and they both come facing him. He tells the first general, would you believe it that I brought this whole army here in part to find you and to retrieve you? The first general says, what have I done, my king, to deserve to be worthy of this? The king says, because... When you were asked to divulge our secrets, you didn't. And when you were asked, and when and when you were asked to, to, to switch allegiances and to switch camps and fight this war against me, you didn't. Now I see. Now I see that you are worthy of my vengeance against those who harmed you and humiliated you and imprisoned you. You see that? So it's not just living a life worthy of God, where God now also says that you are worthy of my vengeance against those powers that harmed you, who tortured you, who humiliated you, who hurt you. I bring vengeance upon them. Why? Because you have shown yourself worthy of my protection. You have shown yourself worthy of my comeuppance against those who harm you. That's the first general. He calls the second general and he says, would you believe it, general, that I brought this whole army here in part to find you and retrieve you? What have I done, O king, to be worthy of this? King says, because when you were offered So bad with this microphone. 
king says, when you were offered to divulge our secrets, you gave it away. You gave it away for a song. And when you were offered power and all these things in exchange for your allegiance, you gave it away. And you have shown yourself worthy of my vengeance against And so, my friends, I ask myself, which general we are? I ask myself, which kind of soldier is SIBKL at Sungai Bulo raising up every Sunday in church, every Monday or Wednesday or whenever day or Friday in our cell groups? I ask myself, what kind of soldiers and servants and messengers and children of God, are we raising up here who will one day be standing face to face against decisions, standing face to face against all kinds of trial, pain, fear? You can see, but in Jesus, you see it's okay, right? How are you? in your walk with God? Are you walking in a manner worthy? Are you being trained to walk in a manner worthy? Are you prepared to say no to the things of this world so that you can truly say, my life is not my own. I have been bought with a price. I, I, it's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And therefore, His will be done which is here. Here can be other people. Huh? His will be done on earth. You point to yourself. Every time you say the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's our responsibility to walk in a manner of Amen? And so, my friends, maybe you could help me click at the back. Yep, and just one more. And so, my friends, there is the calling, there is the worth of that calling, and then there is the making. And on this note, I will close. You may be thinking right now, Pastor, very susah, Pastor. You see, until like that, huh? how to do? Who on, earth can, who on earth can do it? I know I try very hard already. I really try very hard already until I want to die like that already. Okay? And Pastor, you know, my work is so, so heavy. I've got so much things and I have to raise a family and then I've got all, I've got my in-laws and I've got my parents and I've got my neighbours and I've got my local community I've got my church I've got myself and then I'm serving in the ministry and then I've got all these things huh? and then this person got health problem and that person got financial problem and then their family is going through a trouble and like, how you want me to do? What you want me? I've got nothing left to give, right? Right? And like, you're crying out because you're saying, God, who on earth can do this? I can't. I've proven to myself over and over again. I can't. I can't do this, right? And then he says this to the Thessalonian church. That our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith. Now, I'm going to take these three words. Three, three phrases, make you worthy, fulfill every resolve for good, and, every, and to fulfill every work of faith by His power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. 
and you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. How does all this work out? I want to show you, I want to break these sentences down so you see it, so that you see it, right? Because until you see it, you're going to think that this is my job to, I, I need to fight this. I need to, I, I need to put in more effort. I need to uh, um, do my part. And yes, there is a part. You and I, we all have a part, right? But it works like this. God makes you worthy of his calling. Make you worthy of his calling. God makes. Who does it? God does it. Who is the recipient of what he makes? You. He makes you worthy. God makes you worthy to achieve what ends of his calling. So God wants to achieve his calling. He works in you to achieve his calling. He is the one who does the making. He is the one who does the forming. He is the one who does the work inside you. He initiates. You don't have to initiate. He initiates. He has been initiating with you all your life. You may not even be a Christian, but he has been initiating with you by bringing people into your life, by bringing people around you. He may have initiated uh, with a teacher uh, uh, in your life or an aunt in your life or a friend in school in your life. He has been initiating with you since your beginning. God makes. And you are the, you are the joyful recipient. You worthy of his goal, his calling. I'll show you the same pattern in a more complex way. The next line look, works like this. God fulfills. God fulfills what? Your resolve for good. He does the fulfilling. Who is the recipient of his fulfilling, fulfillment? Your resolve for good. To achieve what ends? So that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. God wants to fulfill the glorifying of the name of Jesus, but he does it through you and in you. God fulfills what? Your every work of faith so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. My friends, what's our part? Your good resolve and your work of faith. Meaning, we always hear people say, right, the intention was good, right? Oh, he had good intentions. We usually say it when someone tried to do something good and then it bungles up and then we kind of like, we kind of like um, paper over it and say, oh, but he had, he, he, they, they had good intentions. They meant well. They meant well. It's a polite way to kind of like change topic, right? And God says, I want you to mean well. And then I want you to take your good intentions, to take your well-meaning, and then to put it in the hands of God who will fulfill your good meaning. How many of us we've got, we intend well? All of us intend well. How many of us always fulfill our good intentions? Very few, right? You know, by February, all your New Year's resolutions are toast already, right? So your good intentions, okay, don't always get fulfilled. But guess what? God fulfills your resolve for good. And what is your resolve for good when your resolve for good comes into alignment for the name of Jesus Christ to be glorified? And it's not just your good intentions, but put your hand to the plow, your work of faith. And work of faith 
means that you actually do get up and do something. You do something about it. You don't just sit around and pray and say, God, do something. You do something. You do something. He says, no, you do something. And I will work in you. I will work through you. And through that working in you, your every good resolve and your every work of faith will lead to the glorifying of the name of Jesus in you so that the world sees you and they see Jesus. And the world says Jesus and they praise Jesus and they don't praise you, they praise Jesus in you. Why? Because I've been bought with a price. I no longer live. It's, my, it's not, it, but Christ lives in me. I am not my own. Amen? Amen? And so church, on this closing note, I want to, I can't wait to send you out on Monday. I can't wait to get all of you guys out of church and I get back to work. Get back to work, guys. I'm serious, right? Get back to school. Get back to work. Get out there. Go, go home. Go to your community. Go to your neighbors. Show love. Show God. Show that He's good. Show that He cares for them. And let's get out. This is not the real deal, huh? That's the real deal. This is training ground. That's match day. That's match day. This is not match day. This is training ground. Every Sunday, you come in for training. We are the reverse of football. Every Sunday, they go play match day, right? We come in, we get trained, we get equipped, we get strengthened, we get sent out. Monday is your real life. Actually, Sunday after church is your real life, right? How you treat the waiter at the restaurant after this that you're going to is real life. Why? We've all been called to walk in a manner worthy of God. We are going to partake of communion right now. Now, I encourage you, as the emblems are being passed around, to hold these emblems in your hands and to know that as you hold these, you are also called to partake them in worthy of the Lord. You are also called to partake them with reverence, with a deep understanding of what God is doing in our lives. And so, my friends, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. Maybe as we um, peel off the lids on this thing, you can just take a moment of quiet, yeah? And don't, don't worry about the noise on this. The more important thing is the noise in your heart, okay? And let's take a moment to quieten down our hearts. And to allow the Lord to speak because I believe He is always speaking, but to allow ourselves to hear, to give our ourselves a chance to hear. Let's take a moment of quietness. As the team finishes the passing of the emblems, now encourage the team to be able to pick up the emblems for yourself and to also quieten down your hearts. If there are any areas of your life where you want to confess before the Lord, any sin in your life, any area where you just want to say, Lord, you take over. Just confess it before you. Your moment. Father, we love you. We thank you. We turn our eyes before you, Lord God. And we say, Lord, truly you are precious and you are of infinite worth. 
we hold these emblems in our hands to remind ourselves of you. You said, Lord, at the end of supper, you took bread and you said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, today we want to remember you. We want to remember that your body was broken and you entered into a, a, a horrific death so that we can be spared of it. And so that after that, we can come out of our own death into everlasting life because of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this body broken for us. And we remember you. We remember the cross. We remember our joy and our, uh, our privilege of being saved. We remember the first day we gave our lives to you. And we remember what it felt like, what it meant. We remember us in our deepest trouble, in our darkest night, and how you rescued us from those days. We remember that today, some of us might even be in new seasons of darkness and trouble. But the Lord, who was faithful then, will be faithful to you again. We do this in remembrance of our Lord. That is part of this book together. open the lid for the cup. After supper, I ended. I took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. A new promise. A covenant is a promise. It is deeper than an ordinary promise. It is a promise that is fulfilled by the shedding of your own blood. That's what a covenant is. And he cut covenant with us. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you gather like this, do this in remembrance of me. Father, we turn to you and we ask you, Lord God, to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can yield to you to make us worthy. That we can yield to you for you to fulfill our every good intention and to fulfill our every work of faith. You do the work to us, Lord. We only want to do to you. May this cup remind us of your love for us. Let us partake of this cup together. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for this morning. We thank you, Lord God, for your work in our lives. And we pray, every one of us praying right now, that you will make us worthy of your calling, Lord God. That tomorrow, on Monday, or from this afternoon alone, we will be sent out of here to live a life worthy of your calling. In all the mundane things, you will work the miraculous inside of us, Lord God. So, Father, bless us right now, Lord God, with your presence, with your work, with your companionship, with your forming inside us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance to face you and give you peace. And all of God's people shout aloud, Amen. 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 Come on church, let's give God a hand. Let's give God praise. Yeah.